Blog Talk Radio. Well, bless the Lord, everybody. Bless the Lord. This is Pastor Winfred Burns, and you have joined the Word on Wednesday. We want to begin tonight by thanking each of you for uh, coming out to study with us. As you know, we are studying through the book of Acts. And tonight we go to Turkey. Um, and you wonder, and you're probably saying, to Turkey? Why are we going to Turkey? Well, what many of us don't realize is modern-day Turkey was the uh, was the initial and actually uh, during first and second missionary journeys took Paul went through Turkey. And we know it by other names, but uh, tonight what you'll get a chance to see and, and listen to is how this journey came about. Now, remember, the thing that we are doing is we're, as we go through this particular segment of Acts, we've entitled this, Whosoever Will, Let Him Come. And what we are doing is we are sharing with you how the gospel was spread, how the disciples Obey Jesus' command to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. And so, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, and after a brief word of prayer, we're going to dive right in. And let me say, Autumn and, and to Sharon, good evening. We're going to, we won't waste your time tonight. We're going to dive right into the study. Let's have a word of prayer. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you, to bless you, and to praise you. We bless you because you are good and your mercy endures forever. We bless you because you are faithful. God, you made a promise in the garden, and you are still bringing that promise to pass because you said that you would restore mankind. You said that you promised that we would get back to you, that you would reclaim your creation. And as we study your word, we see how you went on a mission to reclaim us. And so, God, we praise you for that tonight. We praise you, O oh God, that you are no shorter than your word, that you are not a man that you should lie, nor the son of man that you have to repent. But your word never returns to you void, but that it accomplishes its purpose. Now, God, we ask that you would lead us and guide us through your word, that you would help us to understand, make us better stewards of your word, make us better disciples. And then, Father, help us to execute your plan. Speak to us as to what you want us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I've got 7.03 at 7.33, uh, 30 minutes from now. We'll conclude. Now, I want us to go to Acts chapter 13, as I said before, and I want you to remember that last week, uh, over the last week, we talked about Herod dying. Um, we also went and we talked about the, the, that, you know, the, the miracle of Peter being saved. Uh, we covered some tough ground last week because one of the things that I left you with is that our plans and God's plans differ. The way we see victory and the way God 
uh, sees victory are two different things. And so sometimes we pray for something, and it's not in his will. And God says no. But his no is actually a yes, because anytime God says no to one thing, his yes is even better than what we expected. You think we, we left you with a question last week? So Peter gets rescued, James gets beheaded. That was God's plan. That was God's plan. And I, I could have went even further by reminding you that of the numerous Christians uh, who were eaten by lions, boiled in oil, sawed in half, fed to wild animals, I could have reminded you of all of those things. But I can, even, I can remind you right now that somewhere in this world, in Russia, in China, that people are being imprisoned, that people are being tortured for the gospel. In America, we get browbeaten, we get laughed at, but we don't suffer the persecutions that Christians around the world suffer. So be mindful of that because those Christians are praying for deliverance. Those Christians are praying for miracles. And in many instances, God says, no. He says, I want you to suffer for my sake. And so there a lot is suffering. So be aware of that as we, even as we study because we will go through some areas where Paul and Barnabas, Silas, all of them will face some very, very dire circumstances. So be aware of that. Okay, so now, with that said, I want us to go to Acts chapter 13, and I'm going to begin reading at the first verse. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and prayer, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. What we have in this first three verses are the foundations for missionary work, how missions come about. All disciples, all disciples are called to share the gospel. There are some who have the gift of evangelism and are sent out on specific missions to advance the gospel in a larger way. If you have not been called to advance the gospel in this large way, um, sometimes we, we call these folks not evangelists, but instead we call them apostles. And the reason why I say that is because uh, an apostle is a person who goes about and he plants and ministers to a number of churches. And so we refer to them as apostles nowadays. But everybody, everybody, every disciple, every follower of Jesus is called to spread the gospel. And how does, this, how does this happen? How do we enjoin ourselves to spread the gospel? How do we get to a point where 
um, we know that we are called to the mission field. And when I say the mission field, I mean to go further than just uh, locally. Well, here they tell us. They were worshiping the Lord, fasting and praying. That's the foundation of all mission work, worshiping, fasting, and praying. Worshiping, putting yourself in the presence of God. Fasting, what you are, when you fast, what you are trying to do is you are trying to weaken the flesh that the Spirit of God will have absolute control. So it is, fasting is a form of absolute surrender. You want yourself to be in line with God so God can do with you what he pleases. You want to weaken the flesh because the flesh will sometimes obscure what God is saying. It will obscure what God wants you to do. It will obscure your vision. And so fasting keeps us in the in line with God. There's a number of things that I want to say about fasting later uh, that I can't get into right now. But and then there's the prayer. Praying is your connection with God. We could we could spend the next several days just talking about the prayer life of a disciple. But worshiping, fasting, and prayer are foundational to the life of a Christian. And if you are not practicing those three things, then you need to begin to do it. If you want to grow in Christ, if you want to hear from God, then those are three areas that you have to pay particular attention to. So while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke, not to just an individual, but to the group, to the group of worshipers, and designated Barnabas and Saul for a special work. And then notice what they did. Notice what they did here. They continued worshiping. They continued fasting. They continued praying. Why did they do that? Because they wanted to make sure that they were hearing from God, that they were lining themselves up with the word of God, which would lead them into the work of God. You see, so oftentimes we, we will go and we will run without God. We will put ourselves in a position where we become the authority and we are in charge of what we're doing. But when you are in prayer, when you are surrendering yourself, when you are surrendering your, as they say, submitting yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, God will say to you, here's what I want you to do. And that's what they heard. And they continued in their worship. They continued in their prayer. And then they did something that many of us don't do. And that is, even though they weren't the ones chosen for the special mission they enjoined themselves to the mission by laying hands. Laying hands has a, a number of purposes. One, laying hands often precedes, um, how do I want to put this? Laying hands often 
precedes someone being ordained to a specific position within the church. Laying hands also says we are a part of you in this work. In other words, they're saying we're with you. We agree with God. We agree with you with what God is doing in your life, and we are attaching ourselves to you in this work. That's what that's what they did. Remember where they are. They're in Antioch, and this is a church that is unified. And one of the things that happens when we worship and pray and fast together, is we come together in unity and we work in unison as one. Okay, so they laid their hands on them, and then, what does the word say? And they sent them off. Now, although the word doesn't say it, I guarantee you that they didn't send them off empty-handed. And that's something that we've got to do a better job of. We need to support those whom God has called to the mission field. I've, I've got friends who regularly go on missions, and one of the things that, that needs to happen is that we need to, when we have an opportunity to support them financially and in prayer, we need to lay hands on them and lay some bread on them so they can go and do the work of God. And I'm happy to do that because some of the places that they're called to go to, I am so glad that God doesn't dial my number and tell me, okay, I want you to go to Bulgaria or I want you to go to uh, Africa. I want you to No, I'm perfectly fine here in nice little Flossmo, Illinois. I'm happy here. I'm glad that this is where he, this is the ministry that he's called me to. But, Others he is called to go out and go further. And so as their brother in Christ, to be one with them does not just mean I say, go ahead on, see you later. Hopefully you make it back. No, it means that I have to keep them lifted up in prayer and we have to support them. Now, maybe God is putting it on your heart right now, reminding you right now of some missionary, someone who is out on the mission field and you need to reach into your wallet or your checking account or hit your PayPal account or something, or do something to help them. And while you're writing them a check or transferring some money over to them so they can continue to work someplace else, also pray for them. Didn't mean to go down that route, but I'm go, I went there anyway, and I'm, I won't take it back. We need, to, as the body of Christ, we need to support all of the efforts to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ locally and abroad. Let's move on. So now, and if you got a map anywhere near you, if you got a map in the back of your Bible, because I haven't figured out a way to show you these things, but uh, eventually I will know how to do it. I'm got some technical problems. You know, I don't know how to do it technically yet, but I'm going to learn. So, verse 4. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. 
when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimaeus the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, so what happens? First of all, they send them off. Where did they send them off to? And why do they go to the place that they go to? This is a great question, and the reason why it's a good question is, it because, is because it has implications of how we do or should do evangelism today. Let me, take, let me show you something. So they went to Seleucia, and there they sailed, sailed to Cyprus. Why did they go to Cyprus? Now, if you're looking at your maps, you'll see that from Seleucia, uh, which is just out, just outside of Antioch, they take a boat and they sail across the Mediterranean to the island of Cyprus. If you look out in the Mediterranean, and don't go too far, don't go too far to the west because if you go too far to the west, you're going to get to a creek. You'll have missed it. Island of Cyprus is an is important in this story. Why? Well, look at Acts chapter 4, and this is going to answer our question. It's going to answer two ways, too. Look at Acts chapter 4 real quick. Um, verse, there it is, verse 36. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. So what's happening here? The first missionary journey begins on home turf. What Barnabas and Saul do is they don't just go anywhere. They're led to go home specifically to the place of Barnabas' birth. What does that mean to you? Evangelism, missionary work, starts at home. A lot of us want to you know, just jump up and be called to, to go to great places, and some of us are. But how many of us are ignoring the missionary field that's sitting right across the table from us? 
How many of us are ignoring the missionary field that calls us mama and daddy? How many of us are ignoring an important missionary field that calls us grandma and grandpa? Missionary work begins at home. It begins in a familiar place. And missionary work does not mean that you have to go learn the four spiritual laws and hit them over the head with a bunch of scripture and constantly dragging them into this and doing that. No, missionary work basically means you share the gospel. You share the love of God. You share the worship of God through the way you live. They are going, I mean, so many, I hear so many testimonies, and, the, and part of the testimony is usually, my grandmother was a praying woman. I saw her pray. My grandmother used to take me to church. My grandfather used to take me to church. I saw my grandfather reading the Bible. That's a witness right there. If they don't ever, if they don't ever accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, you know that you have exposed them to the gospel by sharing with them the love of Christ, by sharing the scripture as you have been led by the Holy Spirit, but by living a spirit-filled life in front of them, right there. And then it's their choice. It's their choice whether they accept Christ or not. And that is so important. So Barnabas takes, and he goes to Cyprus. He takes Paul, and he says, we're going to start this missionary journey on Cyprus, my home church, my home turf, the place where I was born, because I know this place, and I know these people. You missed that, didn't you? Then, let's go further. So they go, they when they when they land on Cyprus, they land on the eastern end of the island, and they go from east to west, evangelizing that island. They run into, uh, or they, the proconsul summons them. And now, let me help you understand the proconsul. The proconsul is a bureaucrat. He is a representative of Rome. Rome. In their structure, you had um, the council, and then you had the proconsul. Councils served for one year, and then after they were councils, they, they would assign them as a proconsul. Now, the difference between a council and a proconsul is the council had responsibility for the military activities that took place within their assigned territory. Whereas the proconsul, he was primarily um, involved in policy, and he was usually chosen and put put into place because of his ability to communicate the policies of the council and Rome with the people that he that he oversaw. He was just a governor, but he didn't have any military say so, so he couldn't call out the army and and do a whole bunch of stuff. That was the job of the council. So 
Hopefully you understand that this proconsul has been assigned to Cyprus, and being assigned to Cyprus, he hears about the gospel being preached. His name is Sergius Paulus, and remember that name because it's going to come up again. Um, his name is Sergius Paulus, and he comes, he calls for Paul and Silas because he wants to know more. He wants to know more about this doctrine that's being preached, and it could be because he wants to find out how this is going to impact his rule, his rule over this island. Uh, one of the things that, that he was responsible to do is report back up to the council if there was any kind of uprisings or anything. So it could be that he wanted to hear this gospel so he would know that is this going to be a problem for us. In the course of Paul and, and Barnabas, talking to him about the gospel, he comes and he faces a man named Bar-Jesus. And Bar-Jesus, now when, you, when we read this, sometimes you might get confused and think, well, wait, is it Bar-Jesus or Elymas? Elymas just basically means a magician. And so this is Elymas, Bar-Jesus, they're both the same individual. And he comes and he opposes the gospel. He stands in the way of the gospel being preached. He basically is, says, this is garbage. It's not true. And he tries to refute them. He tries to stop the word of God. But, but look who steps forward. Saul steps forward. And he rebukes them, and he says to them, he says, you don't, you, you, how long are you going to do this? And he stops him cold in his tracks. And the Holy Spirit leads, leads Saul to pronounce that this man is going to be blind for a season. Sometimes you've got to be blind before you can see. Sometimes it's what you are seeing that stops others from seeing. And God is opening up a door for Sergius Paulus to receive the, the word of God. And here's somebody blocking him. God moves him right out of the way. And now it says, Sergius, after seeing this, he believed. Never says that he places his faith in God, but he believes, he knows that there is something to this. And he knows so well that he does something. Let's go to the next verse. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, let me stop right there. So they leave Cyprus. And they sail north. And in sailing north, they sail to another town called Antioch in Pisidia. They go to a couple, through a couple of small towns all along. They are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what we don't want to do, by the way, and the, the Bible specifically tells us, it's Antioch of Pisidia, which is different from the Antioch 
that the church that the church has been, is already that sent the sending church of Paul and Barnabas. That Antioch is west and slightly south of Antioch of Pisidia. So why do they leave there going to Antioch of Pisidia? Guess who's associated with Antioch of Pisidia? Sergius Paulus. Sergius apparently believes the gospel so much that he tells Paul and uh, Barnabas, I want you to take the gospel. I want you to take this message to the people that I am associated with so they too can receive the good news. I'm going to have to wrap up here because I'm coming, to, I'm coming to the end of my half hour. Look at what's happening. They leave Antioch, and they go to a, familiar, a place familiar to Barnabas. They leave um, Cyprus, and they are and it is recommended by Sergius Paulus that they go to a place that he is familiar with, where he has his people, Antioch of Pisidia. And in going there, I am sure that he probably um, gives them letters of introduction, tells them where they should go, and, and helps and, is, and serves as an instrument that God uses to open the doors so the gospel can be preached in yet another area. Why is this important? Don't you think about it. Think about how we can spread the gospel today. So, you know a place. You know about the place. It's a place that you came from. It's a place that you still have friends. It's a place that, that you still have relatives. You've got the gospel and God sends you there. And oh, some of them receive Christ, and they have friends, and they want you, and they recommend, hey, can we go over here so we can share this with my friend over there? Because this is something that he needs to hear. That's how the gospel is spread. You don't have to, no big campaigns, nothing. God is opening doors. He is opening doors for Paul and Barnabas to spread the gospel, to take it to the uttermost parts of the world. God's opening doors for you to obey his command to spread the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. And it begins at home, but then goes to familiar place after familiar place. Well, I need to stop now. And I need to, we're going to, we'll pick this up next week because it's important that we see the simplicity of sharing the gospel, but it's even more important that we take advantage of the open door. And we got to take all of this pump and circumstance off of spreading a simple word that Jesus Christ died for our sins. God sent his son because he loved us so much that he wanted to pay our sin penalty because 
all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and we are sinners. All we like sheep have gone astray. All of us have messed up with God. And if we don't get it right, we're going to have to pay for it sooner or later. But the problem is we can't get it right. But God sent his son to get it right for us. And so Jesus died on the cross to pay for the stuff that we screwed up. And all we need to do to receive salvation is to believe on the name of the Lord and we'll be saved. To place our trust in him and we'll be saved. And we do this by faith. That's what placing your trust is. It is trusting in what you believe in. Action that follows your belief. That's faith. And if we do that, if we spread that simple message, the Holy Spirit will then take over and teach us and show us how to walk to follow Jesus. That's it. Most none of us changed ourselves. If we've been none of us are transforming ourselves. That's the work of God. That's what's going on here. That's what you can be a part of. That's what God calls you to be a part of. Okay, I'm going to stop for the night. We'll pick up next week on at Acts chapter 13. We'll start right at verse 13. How's that? We'll, we'll pick up right at 13, 13 next week. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to call it a night. While I'm praying, if you have any questions, you can call me uh at 929-477-2304, and if you are on Facebook Live, you can type in your question. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. God, we thank you that you don't make anything complicated, that most of the time when stuff gets complicated, it's because we put our two cents into it. God, but instead, you keep it simple. You tell us to live the life before men. You tell us to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to share what you've done for mankind, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So, Father, today we ask that you would open our eyes that we might see the opportunities that are in front of us, opportunities with neighbors, opportunities with kinfolk, opportunities on our job. And then for those who have already spoken of you to those people, we ask that you would open doors from them, that they would lead us to others and other places where we can show the love of Christ and spread your word. God, we thank you and we praise you that you've caused us to called us to be your disciples and your servants. And we submit ourselves to you. Now, we're listening to you, Father. And some are being encouraged to enter into a a period of fasting. God, for those, let them be obedient. But let's all pray. And let's all worship. Be in our worship and be in our prayers. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, 
this is where we are for tonight. This, and we'll pick up at Acts chapter 13, verse 13, next week. Uh, I'll get last week's lesson out by, hopefully by Saturday. I've been kind of tied up on in some other projects. And I'll also try to get this one out. So those of you who got here late or those of you who um, uh, might miss it, We'll we'll get a chance to see see that, and I'll post that all of those on Facebook via YouTube. So you guys have a wonderful, wonderful evening, and be blessed, be blessed, and look for the opportunities to share because God is calling your number, and He is saying to you, He's saying to you, go take my gospel, uttermost parts of the world. Be blessed and have a wonderful evening.